0: Plus.
2: Is your cricket kit looking
1: a
0: bit rubbish? Well, Prophecy Cricket can help. Prophecy Cricket offer the very best cricket equipment, including the finest handcrafted English willow
1: cricket bats and top-notch gloves, pads, bags and keeping gear. Listeners of this podcast can now get 20% off all cricketing equipment at prophecycricket.com. Use the code MIDDLEPLEASE at the checkout to get 20% off the entire range.
2: Look good, feel great, play better with Prophecy Cricket. Visit prophecycricket.com today. Cricket is back and in full swing.
1: William Hill is the place to be for cricket punters this year with a suite of offers across all formats of the game, domestically and internationally. Check out all William Hill's in-play offers, along with all the latest odds and promotions, at williamhill.com or on the free app, 18+. plus. Please gamble responsibly. And welcome to Middle Please, umpire. My name is Miles Jupp. I am joined, as ever, by uh, ninety-five mile an hour pace bowler, Ashes winner, World Cup winner, completely regular bloke, Mark Wood. Hello, Mark. Hello, Miles. How are you? Oh, uh, ups and downs. Ups and downs. Why? Why ups and downs? Um, generally, I'm quite well, a bit discombobulated because I, I went I went to London on a
2: train this week, which is it's a long way to go in the current climate. It felt a bit odd. I'm reading between the lines here, Miles, as well, where you said that you've been to London. We've also had Susan Mendes on. And I received this text from you, Miles, the other day. All right. I've got some stuff for today I can send you. Are you happy to just go with it? M. So you might have not have landed the head roll as James Bond, but all of a sudden things are starting to come together. You've been to London. Yeah. We've had Susan Mendes on where you are very friendly with each other. And now you're signing things off as M.
1: Yes. Do you think there's any the fact that the M is the initial letter of my first name? Do you think I'm not? I mean, I'm not. I don't want to pour cold water on this idea. Certainly, I'm very happy for the idea to be out there. But there there is an overlap, of course, between the initial letter of my first name and one of the administrative people in bonds. Two seconds. DPD Mantia. Well, for the benefit of those listening at home, Mark Woods has just left our podcast recording uh, to yes, uh,
2: mate.
1: He's doing sound effects. That was very real. Wouldn't that be nice if you delivered a parcel and you got and you got that that sort of? If this isn't really a parcel, Mark, that was an excellent piece of acting. It was. It was. Perhaps Sam Mendes will get in touch with you and say, "Oh, I've got a bloke in my new film who uh, receives a parcel <laughs> in a very cheery manner." No, it
2: was, uh, um... north, north of Newcastle, perhaps you could be that it, man. It was actually my. Um... Mindful Chef um, cooking ingredients that they deliver every week, which is very nice. What's mindful cooking? It's so mindful chef is um, sort of a healthy, healthy living company that sends uh, fresh ingredients. And they send you a booklet and you cook the ingredients out of the booklet. Um, one which I happen to be an ambassador for miles.
1: Oh, really? How very handy. Well, I wondered why you'd brought them up. I bet lift up the parcel. I bet it's not even from them. You just said,
2: don't worry, I'll find a way of getting it in. I know, I'll pretend <laughs> one's delivered during the recording. <laughs> <laughs> what, you, what you got there? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I'll have to have a look in the pub. I mean, last night it was um, chicken ke- kebabs, um, which were which were lovely. Um, I so you get sent? Do you get sent chicken by post or by courier? Yes, you have, you
1: have chicken. Right.
2: Yeah, we, we, the guy sort of drops off the fruit and the veg, and then the chicken runs in. I'm like, come on, then. in come you on. get, and the chicken runs in.
1: Yeah, up, up goes the cleaver. I reckon what happens is you stand in the garden with a couple of those sort of white paddles like people use to bring air in. <laughs> and this chicken slowly hones in and you kind of bring it in slowly like that and the chicken lands and then, yeah. Anyway, what do you think will be in the book for you to cook uh, tonight? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, well, you should have a look. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a pointer. You know, when you're batting and you say two, please, does that mean leg stump or middle stump? What does it mean, middle and leg? Middle and leg, right? Because I the the game that I umpired last week, they kept saying two, please, and I. (laughs) You give them what? I know. I I started. (laughs) I I gave one middle, and he went really, and I went, oh no, it must be in the other one, back towards you, and then they. (laughs) But I did because I was umpire. I didn't want to say sorry. What is that? Um, But after a (laughs) while, I worked out that it was middle and leg. But I didn't. I just wanted to have it clarified by someone that actually knows what they're talking about.
2: I want to know if you went power mad and you started like, "Oh no, that's one short." Giving people, no, you didn't tap your bat in there. One short. Well, no. One of the great umpire signals. One short, isn't it? Yeah, that's fabulous. I am a little teapot, short and stout. <laughs> oh God, I forgot people can't see this, so that's wasted. Yeah, the
1: people at home listening to this probably imagine that you're dressed. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> 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 Who is the most flamboyant umpire of the of the um of the current age? Got to be
2: Billy Bowden, not Is he still going? Uh I think he's I think I don't know if he's stopped now actually. M- Maria Rasmus is funny. He's a funny he guy. He sounds hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, he's funny. Alim Dar doesn't say anything. He doesn't say anything at all. At all. Um even if you ask him a direct question, he just nods his head or shakes his head. I think I think it's my line of questioning. I think I need to get Ali out of his comfort zone and ask him not a yes, no question. You should hit someone on the pad, spin round and say uh, <laughs> sauna or steam room. <laughs> <laughs> me three PSL teams. He would get that, right? He probably would, yeah. I've actually always, in county cricket, I've always enjoyed Neil Malander just because of his voice. So he, he used to sit me, obviously, he is a fastballer himself. I remember once I was, I think I was bowling at Samit Patel, actually, in a, in a game. <laughs> and I went past Ghosty and he went, Hit him in the head, Woody. He? <laughs> <laughs>
1: is is this acceptable uh, umpiring? To to insist that you hit people in the head? <laughs> I think he just, to be fair, I think he just covered dri- covered me on the up for four. Or did he mean if you if you hit him on the head, you're still in with a shout of LBW?
2: Yeah, I think I think he would have given it actually at that point. I think he was uh, the fast bowler and I wasn't happy with the shot on the up from Summit. Um
1: I was going to say this is our last episode of this of series two, of Middle Please umpire, uh, and what. I, I hope, and I don't know, we'd have to sort of get sort of professionals to listen back to the tapes. I wonder if over the course of these, what is it now, 14 episodes, if any aspects of our our own sort of, um, our, our characteristics are rubbing off on each other at all. If you're beginning to sound more like me or laugh more like me, or I'm adopting more of a sort of um, Northumbrian sort of torn in my voice <laughs> um, I, w- I wonder if there's anything I don't know like around the house I wonder if there's anything that I'm asking myself. I don't think that's how Mark Wood would do it if there's anything like that, that you know if you're sort of making a difference
2: yeah well actually I took a piano up the stairs today and, sh- and shredded <laughs> all my walls so I think, uh, I think people will not learn from history people will not learn <laughs> history.
1: Um, I history did I say I got that bloke to do another job for me
2: no oh I,
1: I did <laughs> I did. He came and moved a sofa. One tear. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and he said so quickly, and there's someone who can fix that in quite a bright, breezy way. I just enjoy, I like the way he goes about his business. Um, so, what have you been up to, Mark? You, you're going to play again for Durham, are you, weather permitting?
2: Yes. Um, hopefully, this week yeah, we're playing Worcestershire at home. So, um, if selected, um, we'll give that a good go and try and get a few more wickets. Thank you very much. Sorry. Yeah. Cheers.
1: Um, sorry, I'm just having some chicken curried in. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll see. So Worcestershire you'll play against. You're at home, so it's your conditions. Yeah. That the pitch will be completely prepared to your liking, presumably.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, they have got uh, Alzari Joseph as the overseas uh, West Indian fastballer. So he'll be, um, of course, coming from the West Indies, thrilled to be playing up in Durham. Um, it's just like playing at home.
1: Well, uh, Keemar Roach has been doing well for Surrey fellow West Indian player?
2: Yeah, a little bit warmer in the south going south of the Wall. North of the Wall here. Yeah, it's a
1: completely different climate. Yeah, yeah. If anything, he probably finds it too hot playing at the Oval. Mm.
2: I remember Bilbo said to me he didn't realise there was anything north of Watford Gap. Uh, Bilbo is...
1: um, Sam Billings. Yeah. Why is he called Bilbo?
2: Billings? Bilbo? Oh, right.
1: I assumed it was a direct so some similarity between him and Bilbo in... Bilbo Baggins. Bilbo Baggins, yeah.
2: No, no, I don't think so.
1: Is he is he a short man? Has he got sort of hobbit-like... Has he got particularly hairy feet? Uh, no, and no. No, OK. It really is just his name, the Bilba. Extraordinary.
2: Miles, what happened when uh, when you went to London?
1: I went to London... I went and recorded an episode of... Um, there's a Radio 4 programme. I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. So I went and did that. That was very odd, you know, getting on the... Have you done a long train journey in a mask?
2: Yeah. I've also done a long plane journey in a mask.
1: Mask? Mask.
2: Listen to See, you. See, you're rubbing
1: off on me. Look at you. This is... This is really good, mask um,
2: with, a, with an extra art again.
1: Yeah, I, I know. Well, as long as just you flag it up, if I suddenly sound a bit like, like you, suddenly I went to um, yeah, the radio theater, BBC, whereas they've got no there's no chairs left, and we were all sitting in so it was me and Pippa Evans, Rory Bremner, Rob Bryan, Jack D, but we were just spread out around this massive stage, there were sort of two or three meters. All of so you've been tell- are you telling me
2: that you've been doing other radio stuff say from say from moment?
1: Yeah, well this isn't I don't know what I don't know what your understanding of this isn't this isn't radio, Mark. This is Yes, but if this is this is
2: going out on platforms that surely you have you been cheating on us? No, this is a completely different thing, Mark. This is I was doing Oh yeah, trying to get this is the old Ross and Rachel, we were on a break. You're trying to get off on technicality. No, yeah.
1: I, what I was doing was my, my my job, Mark, which is you know doing that sort of sitting behind a desk, making (laughs) vaguely pointless remarks. That's my normal, (laughs) that's my normal job. That's like, that's me going to work. That's not me saying, hang on a minute, Mark. I've just, I've just, uh, I've just looked at ESPN. You're playing cricket today for Durham. I thought your thing now was doing little, this is appalling. (laughs) I'm going to ring, I'm going to ring the ICC and have you barred. Um, I, uh, so no, I think that's, that's fair, but it was, it was, it was quite fun, but I raced back because I had declared my availability and not only declared my availability, I had been selected to play for Monmouth thirds uh but then and so I was going to do all stars in the morning and play for Monmouth Thirds against uh grange town all stars but uh it's just rain too much rain. I was going to use my new bat uh I was going to bat left handed i was going to go it was just going to be the start of a new era. What new bat have you got it's, well i've got a prophecy bat a limited edition prophecy bat that is beautifully light and um wonderful pickup mark which is always very important to me
2: it sounds like yeah like Excalibur here
1: oh well no one else no one else in my cricket club can lift it
2: <laughs> it's like Excalibur or Thor's or Thor's hammer I'm so upset that uh, you've not got the new balance
1: is that your that's your personal sponsor is it they sponsor
2: yeah yeah I'm just plugging it again there the blade of justice um I'm actually wearing a pair
1: of new balance trainers as we as we speak, mark, and, Oh, could they be any more comfortable? I really don't think they could, actually. <laughs> I think the idea that having my name attached to a piece of sportswear could somehow make it more appealing <laughs> it seems a somewhat remote possibility. But uh, no, it's a it's a terrific bat. But I'm yet to I'm yet to hit a ball with it. But as I say, it is you know it's got quite a lot of sort of mythical and mystical powers attached to it, and it is it is it's only me that can lift it. Or as with Thor's hammer, uh, Vision can lift it who is played by Paul Bettany, who I um, I worked with last week or the week before. Nice guy. Very nice. I have, Well, I've worked with him before. Yeah, he's a great
2: guy. He seems like a guy that would probably, like, use a new breed. A classic, old old school... What, with Zuckerberg stickers on? Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: It might even be a kitbats.
1: Yeah. I, well, actually, because all of them, actually, um, that's what I was asking him, was all the other people in the Marvel Universe, what, what bats they use.
2: And Obviously, Thor uses a prophecy like you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's right. Uh, the the Hulk uses a kipax, what <laughs> the whole tree. Yeah, ask me about any of them, and I and I'll tell you. I'll tell you what they use.
2: Mark. Okay, Captain America, the Stewart three three three. Surprised by that? I thought he might use the grey nickels with it being red and blue like America. But okay, just likes the pickup. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Iron Man, Cuckoo Bubble, <laughs> Spider Man, Grey Nickel Scoop. <laughs> Uh, Black Panther oh Gunamore. oh yeah classic um, <laughs> what about Black Widow uh, she uses a Slazenger actually mm, surprised by that thought she was more of a sort of Duncan friendly. again she just likes to pick up <laughs> what about Thanos the baddie what does he use he uses ton <laughs> why why does he use ton he, he just likes to pick up <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, oh, and the evil the evil scientist um he uses uh, m. l. f oh is that MR like m. r f you mean is it m r f oh right m r f. yeah yeah i don't know what m. l. f. is it's probably some sort of political organization that i shouldn't be getting involved with <laughs>
2: the uh, Manchester liberation <laughs>
1: front yeah so yeah no it's good to know actually what they all use the um uh do you haven't asked what dr strange uses uh, dr strange wants to say you sorry i, I don't know
2: uh, <laughs> you can't find the one with the right pick <laughs>
1: now um as ever we have been uh, the mailbag has been open for uh, open for submissions this is from george uh, kimber of course the, the still they come the uh, cricketers spotted at petrol stations um I saw Joffre Archer at Charwell Valley Service Station on my way back to Southampton after the first Ashes Test at Edgbaston in 2019. He'd been on 12th-man duties that day and was presumably headed back home to Sussex. He'd just beaten me to the queue for KFC. He's very fast. Uh, being a bit starstruck, I left him to enjoy his much healthier version of KFC than our choice and savour that amazing blend of 11 herbs and spices. <laughs> um, <coughs> that's, uh, of course, not the first sighting at KFC. Rory Burns has also been
2: spotted at a KFC. See, it's it's amazing. It's amazing, really, when you think about that. These dads go to those lengths of going to KFC when they can have it flown in for free with Mindful Chef. Exactly why?
1: Yeah, does the Mindful Chef send people um, fast food? Can you get? Can you get that? Can you get KFC?
2: No, no, it's healthy, nutritious, balanced diet food. If I could open
1: my upstairs windows and receive like onion rings from a drone, I would. oh... <laughs> I wouldn't get much done that day. OK, uh, Freddie Lucas. Following on from your recent petrol station investigations, I wanted to alert you to a major breakthrough in this line of inquiry. I believe there might be literally thousands of sightings out there of West Indies legend Michael Holding on the garage forecourt. Why? Because I can share the fact that after his playing days had finished, Whispering Death himself once owned a petrol station. It was located in Kingston, Jamaica, so I hope your investigation map is large enough. We're going to need a bigger instant room. And was simply called Michael Holding's Service Centre. According to his autobiography, the business initially did well, although Michael found it very stressful. When his commentating career took off, the business suffered and he decided to sell it in 1995. Although there is no word on whether they stocked bird tables, one can only imagine going back in time and having the opportunity to buy a few gallons of Four Star, a Kit Kat and a can of Tizer (laughs) from the great man himself behind the counter. Oh, I imagine he would be just the fantastic sort of service that he would give, how charming he would be behind the
2: counter. it would be fantastic. It just sounds like, unfortunately, his spell at the service station,
1: run out of gas. Oh, Mark Wood. Mark Wood is absolutely on fire. Of course, naked flames near a petrol station. Absolutely not what we're after. <laughs> He's very char- I got, this will sound, this is, in this context, this is quite name dropping, but I got, I, I got a lift from Michael Holding once. I went to some, I went to a, a sort of party with a friend of the show, the Notorious D.I.G., and um, <laughs> he was like, oh, we can get a lift with someone. Well, not just anyone, Mark. It was Michael Holding. Unbelievable. And what an incredibly charming man he is.
2: Do you know my favourite thing about Michael Holden is that he always puts a negative with a positive when he's him. I just find it so fantastic. Although Mark Woods bowled dreadfully, that actually went for no runs at over. Is that the sort of thing? What, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. It would be, it'd be something like um, oh, over pitch, that's for Still swung, though. Mm. Yeah, I guess. He'll be like...
1: In a way, that's what as a bowler walking back to his mark when you've just been hit for four, those would be like what would be the positives that I'll look for for there. There's something. There's something I can go for. Um, And also, what an amazing summer he had last year as a as a broadcaster. Yeah, he's fantastic. He was he was absolutely sensational. Oh, perhaps he's the sort of person. I wonder if he'd be willing to submit to um, the absolutely brutal. Interrogative style of uh, of us on middle, please umpire.
2: Anyway, I think he'd I think he'd
1: do a fantastic super over. Have you got um, Have you got your post it notes there, Mark? Just uh, yeah. just j- jot him down. My- Michael Holding. Th- I haven't put Michael Holding. I put Whispering Death. That's fine. Yeah, yep. as long as okay. just make sure the rest of your family know that it's um, that there's a sort of cricket context to that. Because if you leave <laughs> post it notes around with that sort of thing on, obviously it looks very. <laughs> Why has he put Mr. Why is it written Whispering Death next to the laptop? Uh, once upon a time, my, I was writing what was in the diary on the calendar in the kitchen. And Rachel, my wife, she said, why have you written loads of cliches all over the calendar? And I said, what do you mean? She's like, it was covered in... And it was because it was all... <laughs> it was like panel shows that I was doing. Of course, all things like... Who do you think you are? Who? Yeah, uh, why would I lie to you? Who's, you know... <laughs>
2: but it was
1: those sorts of things have i got news for you yeah. why would i lie to you it's not what you know whatever she's like, why is it <laughs> why <have> you... <laughs> um so i had to explain because my wife not reads me doesn't have any interest in these sorts of programs <laughs> um did not understand so yeah put whispering death in some sort of context okay we've gone way off way off now then this uh letter is uh we've asked people for their sort of great club stories uh, and cricket stories that they have. Uh, this is from Ben Richards who says firstly and very kindly I'm hugely enjoying your podcast. Uh, here's a story for the strange things to happen at a match category that took place in 2005, what a summer when I was 16 years old at school at uh, Sutton Valence in Kent. We hosted the Lashing's 11 who played our first team in a charity match. I'd been playing well and had made it into the side. So had the great privilege to be playing against the likes of Richie Richardson, Chris Cairns, Herschel Gibbs, Greg blew it and more. We fielded pretty tightly and kept them to around 240 in 35 overs. Our batsman played a sensational innings and narrowly knocked off the runs to incredibly win the game. Emotions were running high and there was a real buzz around the team and crowd that we'd actually pulled it off. My dad was particularly excited. So much so that when the procession of post-match autographs and team photos had subsided, he caught wind that some of the lashings players were looking for a way to get back to their hotel about 10 miles away. In his enthusiasm to be part of the day and unbeknown to me, he promptly volunteered his services to give them a lift. As I came out, changed and ready to go home, I was met with the sight of my dad's car parked up on the outfield with Joel Garner, Gordon Greenwich, (laughs) Jimmy Adams and Henry Alonga, somehow crammed into his 1984 Toyota Supra Celica. The vehicle in question was generously described as a five-seat sports car but realistically barely fit two up front, coupled with a small seat in the back with absolutely no legroom that was suited to some light shopping, maybe a small child in a car seat and definitely not three rather large fully grown test cricket legends and their huge bags of kit. I watched them speed off across the boundary rope and down the rope while my dad showed off to his passengers by over-revving the ludicrously throaty engine <laughs> i was left sat on the William steps for about an hour waiting for him to eventually return and collect me that is a fantastic bit of chauffeuring work by your father there uh, also been asking people for uh, some of the stories uh, good or bad about away trips this is from Simon i was playing for Dorchester CC heading to a fixture at Kilmington and it was fair to say i was traveling with a rather bad hangover from the night before Having just crossed the border into Devon and getting close to our destination at last, we phoned our captain to update him on our whereabouts. He asked why we were in Devon, considering the Kilmington we were playing against is in Wiltshire. Who knew there were two (laughs) (laughs) Kilmingtons? We arrived Uh at the correct Kilmington over an hour late after a nauseating drive along the A303. Um, I think, as someone that gets nervous playing cricket anyway, the thought about doing so with a a hangover is... I do remember being dropped off to play a game at Datchit Cricket Club once, feeling... It was about half an hour before the rest of my team arrived and I spent all of that lying face down <laughs> with my head and some cold grass. Um, anyway, those days are very much behind me. It's all about the mindful chef these days. And um...
2: and coffee and onion rings drawn in. <laughs>
1: This is from Joe Frankham. First things first, really loving the podcast. It's been my go-to listen whilst driving my baby boy around to get him to sleep. Well, I hope that we are creating a suitable sort of uh, (laughs) whirring white noise uh, that sends him off. uh, Happy to be of service. Um, My away day disaster happened two years ago during a league game in the West Somerset League. I played for a beautiful club called Churchinford CC up on the Blackdown Hills in Somerset. We were playing a local team, Samford Arundel. As much as I wish I could give you the stats of the game and who won, I have no idea. I ended up having emergency surgery after twisting my testicles whilst running into ball
2: <laughs> <laughs> It must have been a big jump
1: <laughs> I, oh, I'm laughing and indeed crying, but not not without empathy because. I I I know exactly the pain that you're talking about as a sixteen-year-old who had to spend a night in Leicester Royal Urology Department. Um, oh, don't worry, we've stapled them down; they won't twist again. You've what? Um, now, um, oh, you poor man! I, I absolutely feel for you. I will, I will get to the end. Um, I had felt a sudden twinge in my first over, but assume. <laughs> I had felt a sudden twinge in my first <laughs> over, but assumed I'd just clipped lefty. So <laughs> So So trotted back to third man and waited for the pain to go away. As soon as I steamed in for my second over, the most excruciating pain hit me. I went faint. <laughs> and then almost vomited as I arrived at the wickets. <laughs> To cut a long, painful story short, a trip to the hospital and a very quick journey down to the surgeon's table, ended with a lovely morphine drip, <laughs> some surgery to right the wrongs, <laughs> and a good few weeks walking like Clint Eastwood.
2: Oh. <laughs> We're never to use the phrase, twinge lefty ever again.
1: Yeah, all I've done is what, I, swear, I've it. Yeah, I just clipped lefty. Uh, the, fact that um, the, let, the fact that the letter starts by mentioning his baby boy suggests all ended well. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. <laughs> <laughs> Selfless piece of correspondence. Oh, dear, that's left me quite weak. Um, I hope you've still
2: got enough strength for my well, guest that's coming on,
1: mind. Oh, yeah. No, I think I can probably G myself up for this. Shall I give you a clue who it is? Uh, yeah. Yeah, why not? Why not? Um, he sometimes wears a watch. Uh, sometimes wears a watch. So he doesn't always wear a watch?
2: Nope. Ooh.
1: Um, John Ketley?
2: <laughs> uh, I'll give you one more guess. Yeah, yeah fairly close without being close at all
1: oh, okay that's the second clue
2: that's a second clue is it um uh, Colin Powell no you're getting closer though you're getting closer you're still far away but you're getting closer think think maybe your favorite ever cricketer is it one of the biggest
1: heroes in my life and the man who's been my favorite cricketer since
2: 1993 it is therefore
1: it is Mr it's Mr Michael Atherton I'd just like to take a moment to thank our founding sponsors, Cricketer's Gin. Cricketer's Gin is the perfect podcast partner, as this corker of a gin began its innings at the local village cricket club in Pinkneys Green, Berkshire. Over a GT, the founders decided that this quintessential British game, along with the wild botanicals growing in abundance, deserved a bespoke gin of its own. Cricketer's features milk thistle, wild marjoram and blackberries, amongst other botanicals, delivering a smooth juniper-forward gin. If pink is your preference, they also have a delicious raspberry-distilled pink gin. Please take a look at their website, cricketersgin.com, where you'll find a range of gin hampers too. Apply the code CRICKET and you'll receive a discount off your purchases. Cricketers, a small batch gin and a family-owned business. William Hill's safer gambling tools help you stay in control. You can set deposit limits, session reminders and take timeouts whenever you need them. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with. Run. It's
0: away, that's his 100. Well, it's a personal triumph here for Michael Atherton.
1: Much appreciated by everyone here
2: at the OB today.
1: Well, welcome to Middle Please Umpire, none
0: other than Michael Atherton. Uh, Michael, welcome. Thank you, Miles. I'll repeat what I said to you just before we came on air. This is a great risk for me because I'm joining somebody, the only person probably who knows more about my life than I do, but it's nice to be here with you. <laughs>
1: Well, I've got, yeah, a ridiculous amount of, in, as it's turned out, quite unhelpful, Michael Afton information stored inside my brain. Although I was talking to a, a friend of mine at the cricket club here. He actually named a dog after you uh, in the 90s. And I assume that things like that are the reasons, sort of the reason you did it, really, uh, to achieve that sort <laughs> of... Uh... Well,
0: that, there was a horse uh, running the other day, actually. Somebody, I not that I knew, but somebody notified me that there was a horse called Ather's. Running as well, it's trained at Newmarket, but it, it it came well down the field, a bit one-paced and not very good, which is probably about right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're probably very bored of
1: talking about cricket all the time, um, so I wanted to start with uh, what you're driving. Where do you do your big shop? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> I wanted to go in a way. I wanted to go back to 1993, Mark. You must keep reminding me that you're here by waving or making some of your charming.
2: No, no. I, well, actually, Miles, I've got just written down here, Miles. Rate his questions and excitement and intensity, were they creepy? So I'm going to rate you out of 10 for each question that you ask. So I'm just going to let you crack on here and write down the first question and just then rate it at the end.
1: I beg you, Mark, don't make this difficult. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, if we go back to 1993, OK, so that's when, when, so uh, as people know, you're, you're my great cricketing hero. And I suppose it was that summer of 1993, in which, as it happened, in which you, became captain but that in a way for you to become captain at that point in 93 given the way that the winter that you'd had in india where you were sort of not necessarily breaking into a, a not very successful team i mean how how did you get from sitting on the sidelines in india to suddenly walking
0: out at uh, was it Edgebaston your first first test was at Edg- uh, as captain yes at Edgebaston. well it's very funny actually because in lockdown I've been making a programme about that India tour of of 1993. So I've become, although it's a long, long time ago now, memory fades, I've become, you know, really acutely acquainted with that tour once again. One of our players, Dermot Reeve, had a handheld camcorder. You remember those things we used to have in in, in the old days, handheld handheld camcorder. And he, 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 throughout that tour, took a load of footage um, which I managed to get hold of a, a few years ago. And with Dermot's agreement, I've made a, a programme about it. So I've got all this fantastic behind-the-scenes footage of a tour to India that was completely chaotic, that you may <laughs> yeah. remember. I mean, there was an air pilot strike. We had to go everywhere by train. Um, the first ODI was cancelled. and uh, We lost. We got whitewashed. We became the first England team to get whitewashed in India. Um, everything that went wrong could go wrong, but throughout it all was uh, a really uh, fabulous kind of spirit amongst amongst the team. So I wanted to make a program about that tour. But you're right. I mean, I didn't play on that tour. I was ill for most of it. I missed the first test in Calcutta, Kolkata, oh, Calcutta as it was. Missed the second test in Chennai. Did play the third test in in Mumbai, but had a disastrous run out with Alex Jew. <laughs> Where we both ended up at the same end. And really, you know, when we got to that start of that summer against Australia in 93, I was very, I played 20 odd tests, but I was right on the fringes of the team, really. And I didn't do particularly well in the first test match at Old Trafford, where Shane Warne bowled his great you know ball of the century
1: you you scored uh, 19 and 25 in that game michael for the uh...
0: yeah kind of pretty indifferent performance we got to lords and i was you know i would say i was within a game of being dropped and then i got 80 and 99 in that game and within two games was captain so it is amazing really how things change on small little bits of good fortune or bad i remember getting dropped in the gully early on in that game at lords so little moments that i think all cricketers look back on and reflect as as match turning moments for your career that lord's game in ninety three was the one I was captain within two games
1: because we had we had Merv on this um and <laughs> He, he talked us through the run out in some detail, particularly, the, particularly his surprise at Mike Gatting going for a third at, at any uh, – I think he was baffled by some of the decision-making process. It's a heartbreaking image. Is it, is it the Wisdom podcast? They have a like, nice sort of ink drawing of that moment of you sort of sprawled on your knees desperately trying to make it. Easy, Miles. Um, easy. What, which, 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 what was wrong with that, Mark? What, what are these mores by which you are judging me?
2: He's my guest on the shore, and you're and you're rubbing it in, sprawled on the floor. And it was the way you said it. It was just. It was part of a tragedy, wasn't it? That's that's.
0: Well, that's it, all. I think those were the words that Tony Lewis used actually on on commentary on the BBC. Tragedy. That's <laughs> right. Of course, he was a
1: massive uh, massive Steps fan, Tony Lewis. Um, <laughs> um because I was listening to Nasser saying recently talk about his captaincy and one of the things he said that I I don't know if he meant it to be honest but he said when any England team that was playing under him he always absolutely believed in them and he always felt he definitely had uh a team with him that that was going to challenge in that game and, and and stood a good chance of winning do you is that something that you can honestly say about your own time um
0: at the helm of England, yeah, definitely. I, I think in, in any in any team you play in, and I'm, this, I'm not just saying this with Lancashire or England. That I think you go into every game, you know, believing in your players and that that you can do well. I mean, we played against one of the great teams of all time, that Australian team from about 1994 five to 2002. Will go down as one of the great teams. And looking back now, you kind of think, well, you know, they had. They had it over us. They had four or five great players. They're a top-class team. Shane Wong, Glenn McGraw, all these guys. But I I never felt that, actually, on the morning of a game. You you just kind of, as Woody will tell you, professional sport is about kind of bluffing yourself as much as anything, both that you're able to compete and that your team uh, will compete. So definitely, every time you walked out, you did so with the belief that that You're going to do well. I mean, it didn't. It didn't always work out like that. And looking back, you kind of think to yourself, "Well, you know, who who was who are we trying to kid?" Because that was a great Australian team for sure.
1: I think so. I, I for instance, I was felt that, you know that, that thing about say you and McGrath, and I I always felt that was there was a kind of false premise to that, which was that what that meant the fact that say you got out to him what nine times, all, all that means is you were getting out to the best seam bowler in the best team more than you were to anyone else, which to me should be more of a badge of honour than something to worry about.
0: It was ni- it was 19 times, I think, by the end. I, I mean... Oh, was it? <laughs> that was a nightmare, a real nightmare. As any batsman will tell you, when a bowler starts to get it over you, you know, it's just, there's no escape. The five-test match series, you're facing a new ball bowler all the time and you play Australia every two years. If you're around for any length of time, you're going to come up, Certainly, against somebody like McGrath, he's one of the great bowlers, He's going to be there all the time. You're going to come up against him time and time again. But I think that's what makes the game such a difficult game. I, I mean, again, back then you you, bl- you try and bluff yourself, but there were nights where you're just not sleeping well. You're not, th- you know, you're thinking about having to face this nightmare again the next day. And it's not at the start of it, but it, it's after a couple of series when he start. You know, when he's got you out nine or ten times. And then you walk out and everybody at Slip or Gully is reminding you about it and there's really no escape <laughs> from it. Um, And they're pretty dark moments, actually, in, in its own, you know, sport, in its own mm. insignificant way. Those are pretty dark moments for everybody to contend with. And yet, I mean, it
1: seems like Donald never would seem to me like a more intimidating prospect, whether bowling in England or in South Africa. And yet, for whatever reason, you you had it over on over on him do you think despite the fact he was a sort of an astonishing performer do you think he would have sleepless nights going how do I get this going I mean even, even, <laughs> no. even if he gloves it he doesn't walk how
0: am I <laughs> how am I going to get him out he he would have got me out a fair few times AD as well but the you know against him I would have got my fair share of runs and, and fair share of match winning performances the difference against McGraw was that I just didn't it was one very much one-way traffic and it I mean Donald was very fast but pace pace never worried me um but McGrath, he was like tight into the stumps, really accurate, a bit of bounce, you know, just somebody I found very tough. And, and it's a curious thing because Sean Pollock was exactly the same as Glenn McGrath, tight in, bounce, bit of movement either way. But although Pollock would have got me out as well, I never really had nightmares against Pollock. So I don't know, something about, something about McGrath over that second half of my Ashes career.
2: Did you, um, did you ever have a beer with them? Like, you know how players have beers with the players at the end of series and stuff like that? I wondered if, like, actually speaking to them or, like, if you met a point of go speak to them, if that would ever help or not?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say that because you, you mentioned Merv Hughes right at the start. And when I first came into the team in 1989, I was only a month or so at a university, very green and, and naive. That particular Australian team under Alan Border were very vocal and very tough. And actually, one of the things I went out of my way to do was to seek out Merv in particular, because he was the one handing out all the verbals. I went out of my way to try and have a beer with him as often as I could. For that reason, really, you you kind of, when you do have a beer with the opposition, you realise that they've got the same worries and the same fears and the same anxieties that you've got. And with Merv, all that, Kind of bristling and spitting behind that ridiculous mustache was all a bit of a all a bit of a front. But in 1989, the way of it then was generally you you had a beer with the team either at the end of the day's play or at the end of the game. By around about 96, 7, that had kind of disappeared a little bit. And you just had a beer with the opposition at the end of the series, which is probably what you do now, Woody. I remember seeing that great photograph. At the end of the last Ashes series in England, where all the players are mingling together at the oval. So by about 96-7, that's what it that's what was happening with us. It was just one kind of get together at the end of the series. And I think you're right. I think actually having a a regular uh get-together or drink with the opposition is a good way of breaking down whatever, whatever you might think about them. It, you just it, it humanizes them to some degree so perhaps i should have done that more but it we kind of as i say it wasn't it wasn't really happening by the mid late 90s he doesn't strike me uh, as someone that it would be difficult to persuade to have a drink no he's a, he's a good lad I, I know him you know now and um, we're very friendly i was slightly so I was slightly kind of fear you know seeing him because somebody will make the quip that you know here comes your <laughs> rabbit or whatever but he's a very very straightforward guy so i'm, I'm the vast majority of People that I played against. Um, I mean, Ad. Uh, after that episode at Trent Bridge, we did have a beer that evening, actually, and then after the game, and you know, very good mates with him now. If I see him, um, so all that, all that is in the past, really. Because
1: we, we were talking to um, Jack Russell not so long ago, and he was talking about walking out at the um, at the Wanderers. And what what struck me to join you, and what struck me it was, and he he. Is the way the vividness with which he described he walked out met up with you and looked in your eyes and just thought oh he's gonna do it he's going to do it and it's almost like he knew in that moment and really the rest of the day was just about calmly fulfilling some sort of destiny you know in a moment like that which is in a way it's the sort of thing people get remembered for but at the same time isn't necessarily representative of you know the the wider game or, or career what what felt different on a day like that? And where, where do, was that belief? Or is that, is that in itself just more, more front, more theatre? It,
0: it may be Jack kind of seeing things backwards, if you know what I mean, given that he knows what happened on that particular day. But maybe not. Maybe he did feel that when he came out. I mean, he would have come out probably, I don't know, midway through the first session of the last day with Lost Robin Smith. It, it looked pretty grim. But there was something about that day, I don't know, Woody will tell you, that just occasionally as a cricketer, you kind of have those days where you just feel in control. And there are so few days like that, certainly as a batsman anyway, maybe different for a bowler, as a batsman, because... There are so many things out of your control. You know, you, the pitch can be, you can get a shock and ball off the pitch. The umpire can give you a terrible decision, although there's DRS these days, which changes things. But so many things are out of your control that for a batsman to say you're in control on one particular day is, is a rare is a rare thing. But I did feel in control that day. Everything seemed to happen in slightly slow motion. Um, I wish it had happened more often. <laughs>
1: on on a, in innings like that then when you're batting for long over a day are you have you have you got time to sort of read the opposition i mean can you actually watch their shoulders and their heads go down as it goes on can you can you get a sense that you're winning the
0: the mental mental game i think i had a sense mid afternoon um i mean it was a long long old haul and it was quite a quick pitch and donald and Pollock were very quick with a new ball um but I think by by the end of that fifth day, or you know, late in the afternoon of the fifth day, second that th- maybe third new ball or second new ball or whatever became available, um, you got a sense that they were pretty weary. I remember just before uh, shaking hands with Hansi Cron, you're looking round at him, just wondering whether he was going to come and shake hands, and his shoulders had definitely begun to begun to droop a bit then.
1: Because I suppose there, if it's flattening out, it's just about. It, whether or not you make a mistake, isn't it?
0: I got, I got dropped on 99, at short leg, um, but that was quite early on on the on the last day, and I'd already scored two 99s in Test cricket by then, so it would have been an unwell. <laughs> but it basically hit Gary Kirsten in the chest and and went down. But it's the kind of catch that these days you see snaffled all the time by by the brilliant short legs. But I think otherwise, it
2: was pretty chanceless. So Cronje and Schuller's were down, and the more, more they went down, the more. Athas' chest by the end he was like arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> his body language is that good so you're trying to say yeah. Athas.
0: <laughs> not quite it's the first time anybody would describe me as arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> um yeah it was a nice day actually to, to be there with jack as well i know you've had jack on and, and you talked about him a moment ago but what a what a character he was um i a little bit like you, Woody. I suspect you, you know, can your teammates look upon you as a slightly on the one on the one side slightly deranged and odd, <laughs> but, <laughs> that, that you know lifts lifts a dressing room. And Jack was very much. You can think of players down the years that I played with. Jack was very much like that. Darren Goff was like that. Tuffers was like that. In his own slightly slightly funny and odd way
1: as well. Because in that, I mean, it's quite a challenging time. I guess you could you could almost have been excused in the '90s for selecting someone purely on personality, couldn't you? And that, like, somebody that's going to bring a bit of a bit of joy to this dressing room. When we were talking to Jackie, he was describing this hat saga when you and David Lloyd were nearly were nearly fired because of the state of his headgear. And I kind of thought, obviously, you had so much responsibility heaped on you in those days. Now, with Mark and that lot, they've got you know about 87 people following them around all the time they're like sort of princess diana on her wedding day all the time and they're just you know everything's done for I them have to but-
2: mark that down miles that's you've been marked down for that you were doing well <laughs> and i've just marked you down after that
1: it's good c- it's because i was just watching the crown is all it is it's just an image in the thing but I, I that that you know whereas you're pretty much presumably your luggage allowance was taken up with training cones and stuff and you've just got you're doing sort of everything what what i wonder what what was the angriest you got both on the
0: field as a captain or indeed off the field? The angriest, wow. Um, I remember, bizarrely, uh, given the size of him, Devon, Malcolm, I remember him giving, giving him a bit of a volley before before his 9 for actually, against South Africa at the Oval. We'd had this meeting about how we should... You know, bounce their tail enders in the same way that they were bouncing ours. And, and for some reason, we hadn't in the first innings at the Oval. And I remember tearing a bit of a strip off Dev before he then got nine for. I'm not saying tearing a strip off him had anything to do with his nine for, but I, I just look back thinking that was a slightly odd thing to do because <laughs> I wouldn't have blamed Devon for cuffing me around the head at all. Um, but I remember that in one particular episode. I mean, lots of them are we lost a one day game in Cape Town I remember whizzing a cricket ball across the dressing room and it smashed into a, a mirror and the glass going a million places there are you know so many memories of slightly losing losing the plot so you weren't you weren't a kit thrower then you never you, never, you just played a kit nicely I, I generally wasn't a kit thrower but just occasionally I'd, I'd lose lose the plot um, which probably makes them more memorable I mean, we had, as you know, the characters are completely different in a dressing room. Somebody like Gucci, for example, a play with Gucci, if he got out, he would just calmly come in, take his pads off, lay them out all neatly, and within five minutes would be, you know, answering his mail or autographing his mail or whatever he was doing. I mean, he was amazing the way that he just kept in everything internal, whereas, you know, some people you'd, you'd have to clear a space in the dressing room. <laughs> or <laughs> or nasa came in having got out you know you'd made sure that you just cleared a little area for them to uh, to have a crack
2: but that's, that's I, I, I find mean. it hard not to laugh sometimes me uh, when when people go ballistic sometimes it's really really funny who's the worst at the moment well the, the, the obvious big 3 are stokes roy <laughs> and uh best you know, if they come <laughs> in sometimes, sometimes it can be hilarious i mean i've seen johnny Head buddies own helmet, which doesn't make sense to me, but it's it's the funniest. <laughs> if he needs to let off steam, let it off. But honestly, sometimes it's just too. It, you try. And the problem you know, is sometimes the fast bowlers, you fast bowlers, are asleep somewhere in
0: the corner of the dressing room, lying on a yeah. bench or on a physio's bed, and suddenly
2: you know there's there's chaos happening all around. Mm. It's, a, it's like a scene of Saving Private Ryan, where trying to pick up Joffrey to get him out of the dressing room just to, <laughs> just to get him out of harm's way. <laughs>
1: What would someone like Stuart have been like in that dressing room? Because um, he was, I mean, he'd scored almost, did he score more runs in the 90s than anyone test runs? He was such a, yeah. you know, he was one of the one of the members of our team that was definitely a world-class player. And yet to me, as, and a wicketkeeper, he seemed amazing to me. But he also seemed to me to be someone who was almost like he was, he didn't seem like the normal character that would be a wicketkeeper, the more sort of eccentric. Side. It was almost as if he'd become a brilliant wicketkeeper because someone once told him that he couldn't or something he just
0: seemed this great toughness yeah i mean if, if wicket keepers are eccentrics and, and many of them are Stu was a long way from that he was absolutely immaculate i mean he, he there could not have been a greater contrast between me and him when we opened together which we did a lot i mean the corner of the dressing room where i changed and i at lords i changed right next to the door that leads you out onto the balcony there's a little armchair just to the right there and that was my armchair but you know that within five meters of it there was just gear strewn around everywhere so everybody had to tiptoe over my kit to get out onto the balcony
2: <laughs> must be captain's corner that. that's where roots sits as well is that joe's place is it yeah yeah um
0: uh, but stewie was just immaculate i mean you know he a he was immaculately turned out every time he walked onto the field as an england player an immaculate corner of the dressing room as well. There could not have been a, a greater contrast.
1: Because I, I met him once. We were doing an ITV panel show, uh, ITV4 panel show, not not to boast, Mike, but <laughs> he, uh, very odd. Oh, it, it was a team, me, him, and Jim Jeffries, bizarrely, but he, I was talking to him in the bar afterwards and, and inevitably I asked about you. And I, I, he was saying, because he strikes me as a tough man. I don't mean in an unpleasant way. I mean, like, just hard, if you watch mm-hmm. him face, you know, those those hundreds in the West Indies and what I and and but that is actually what he singled you out for. He said, oh, you know, when I met him, I just assumed he'd be some sort of fey public school. <laughs> but he is. But he is tough. He is a hard, hard, tough man, uh, which I thought coming from him sort of meant meant something. Where does that sort of come from? I don't know if you to what extent you have that streak still, that kind of stubbornness and that, that grit, because, you know, so much of what you did was completely. Well, not completely, but you know, a lot of mind over matter to just really get out there and think, right, I can take this on. I'm going to wear these on the chest. I'm going to get hit on the head. I don't mind.
0: Where does it come from? I don't know. I I, I genuinely don't know. It it must be something that's innate in you. I, I don't think you can kind of learn or develop those things. You either have a bit of stubbornness and a bit of grit or you don't. Maybe that opening the batting forces a bit more of that within you a lot of the good openers that i've seen people like alistair cook and gooch and stewie that you mentioned have that and i think the position almost demands that of you because it is a position where you tend to get more low scores than others you know you're always it's the hardest place to bat in some senses you know the bowlers are fresh the balls new all that stuff so you get more low scores and, and therefore you have to kind of have a a stubbornness to you that says, even when you're sat on a pair or a couple of low scores behind you, that you're going to go out and do it. Maybe, maybe there's something in opening the batting that demands a little bit more stubbornness, grit, determination. I don't know.
2: I think you're being a bit modest there as well, because I think actually it's not just opening the batting. I think it's the difference between a good county player and an international player. I think that that it's a, it must be a mentality or a mindset thing. I think because if you're if you are a good player and you're talented, but actually having that, when it gets tough and having that grit, that's what makes you, I think, an international player. Because if you're having, you know, the difference between both from my point of view would just be test cricket, it's bloody hard, like it's hard work. And uh, actually, you know, there's times where it doesn't go your way, but uh, keep coming back, being resilient and standing up, especially when the team needs you or something like that, I think. That's the difference between a good county player and an international player, I think. So I think you've being a bit modest. So just opening the bat, and I think there's something within you that makes you a top level sportsman, that you want to represent your country, you want to be the best. I think there's something in you that makes that even better. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think if you have a, a
0: lengthy England career, you know, if you play a a high number of test matches, 50, 60, 70 test matches or more, there will come periods in every player's career where your career is on the line a bit. I remember Andrew Strauss actually uh, before a game in Napier. I think I can't remember what year, but he'd had a horrendous trot, you know, and he's just his career was on the line. If he hadn't have got any runs, he was done for. And he went out and got 170 or something. And it and it strikes me that the players that do have a long career find ways of staying in the team when. Uh, when the moment comes, whether it's just the ability to score an ugly 40 or 50 that keeps you in the get in the team to the next game, or whether you find as a bowler a way of just battling a niggle or whatever it is, the players that tend to have a long career just tend to find it when they need it. Do you know who's the best at that? I mean, honestly not mind to sin. it's probably Collie. There was a game at Edgebaston, and I, again I can't remember what year or who who it was against, but you know, when you when you're in the media, which I have been for some time now, there's always a bit of a narrative before a test match that one of the players is under scrutiny. Usually, one of the top six is the next for the high jump. And I remember it was Collie's turn before this game at Edgebaston, and he looked horrendous. As you, as you know, Collie can from time to time. He just looked totally out of nick, and and he found a way. He found a way to get a score. I think he got a hundred that day, and and you know, then he was. In found some form, was in for the next few games, and off he went. But he just found something within himself, even when he was in the most horrendous nick, he found, found a way of getting some runs.
1: But obviously, because Collie seemed to be one of these players that he could score, he could always score ugly runs, couldn't he? It wasn't a kind of like, oh, he's timing it well or whatever. He just has that, you know, that, that sort of ability to work it. I'm, I saw his... Um... You reckon he didn't
2: find a cover drive he was 42? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I saw his his maiden century, I think, at Nagpur in um, 2006. And I think about he scored about a third of those runs with Monty on debut at the other end. And that strikes me as quite a relaxed frame of mind to be able to, to get in to do that. But also, the, he'd scored runs in Pakistan before that. And, you know... He's the one that came out of the two thousand five Ashes just getting abused for being for happening to play one one game in an amazing series. So I thought that in itself showed toughness to go, Well, I could no, if I'm called
2: up and I can do it. I've just played club cricket against Collie and he lifted his bat no higher than his shin again. <laughs> I was like, Come on, man, break the shackles a little bit, let the hand break off. It's exactly the same. Shovel it through the leg side. <laughs> how how um Atlas, how did you find commentary? You mentioned it there. I just wanted to ask you like how do you find it Are you natural? Is it do you find it easy or
0: Um, Well, I think the key, actually, is just uh, enjoying the game. And I still do, actually. You know, 20 years on now, I've been in in commentary longer than I played. But I still really enjoy turning up to a Test match, or indeed a, a T20 game. I enjoy watching the game. I'm still curious about players and their stories and, you know, the whole variety of backgrounds that you have, whether it's you there in the Northeast or, you know, some public school boy in the South, you get a whole variety of people coming into the team and different attitudes and different environments. I'm curious about players and their stories and, and the game, which offers unbelievable variety from, you know, that ranked Turner that we saw in Ahmedabad recently to you might see a game at the Wacker or whatever. I still think it offers great variety. So for somebody who's interested in the game and curious, you know, there's still that. Um, And I think that's the key, actually. And I think think if you are interested and you like it, I think that will come across in your commentary. Mm -hmm. If you're bored with the game and you're bored just turning up and you see it as just another day, another job or whatever. I think that will come over too. So, I mean... I Bumble's say. certainly like that, isn't he? Bumble seems bored all the time. No, Bumble <laughs> loves it, honestly, for a bloke of 72 <laughs> or whatever he is now. His kind of youthfulness and zest for, for life is incredible, really. Yeah. He's still got more energy than the rest of us when we go out He's for a brilliant, isn't he? After, after a day. Um, he genuinely loves the game. I think that comes through. Uh, in his commentary I mean it's a fascinating game isn't it you know I remember we did that thing with you last year when you came on to do that little coaching clinic for kids that I asked you to do and you came on it and it was fascinating to listen to you because I don't know you well, but until that point, I thought, well, Woody's a bit of a clown, you know, he's a bit of a, <laughs> <laughs> he's a you know, he's the, he's the kind of team, team buffoon or clown. But when I listened <laughs> to you then, I recognised <laughs> that you thought quite deeply about bowling and you knew your stuff. Absolutely. Um, and it is a fascinating game, all the technique and you know, the way people do it differently. It's still interesting to me. I
2: actually play the serious role on this podcast, Athos. Um, (laughs) So I I, I can sort of be a bit of a chameleon Can rotate around.
1: You are, you're very disciplinary. Yeah, yeah. No, it's very, quite a tough regime that you run, Mark. (laughs) I I was going to say, what you do that's quite unusual, uh, Athos, is, is you engage with people below the line in your times column, which I suppose that that is indicative of a love of the game the fact that you not only have you gone to the bother of filing your copy but you you actually want to get into um you know debates with people i suppose what, what why on earth do you do that because um, it seems you know I, I know it's behind a paywall so it's not it's not the sort of angry open window that twitter yes. could be but that that seems to me to be a sort of an ordeal to put yourself through that you don't necessarily have
0: have to do well two things i'd say one the point that you made which i think is quite important I, t- I tend not to engage on social media just because of the point that you made that it's you know it can be a bit feral out there and and on the on the paper behind the paywall it's a it's a slightly dedicated interested cricket audience and, and you, the, you know the comments tend to be more reasonable people are commenting under their real names rather than pseudonyms but the other thing is is that people often know more about things than than i do and i you know I might do a I might do a piece about an injury or you know I don't know the way bowlers are looked after and suddenly you'll have some professor of medicine come on and and put you right or I've done I've done recently in lockdowns I went to the papers archive in Bow and and looked through their photographic archive. so I've been doing a weekly taking an old photo and doing a weekly piece about you know some cricketer in the 1950s or whatever and you find that There'll be readers on there who knew these people or met them or had a little story to tell. So I've never believed in cricket, that you have to have played the game to talk about the game knowledgeably. Or, you know, some of the great commentators, Tony Kozier, for example, great West Indian commentator, he played club cricket, but he he wasn't a first-class cricketer, yet you couldn't have a better, more knowledgeable, more engaging broadcaster than... And Tony Cozier, so I don't believe you have to have played the game.
2: Did, uh, did any of these people meet anyone at service stations or, or anything that <laughs> ever come up in you? Which is the best services in the country? Or? <laughs> so,
1: sorry to hear you're not a listener, Mike. Uh, we've uh, we've <laughs> we've, uh, we've been running bizarrely. I told this almost. Almost pointless. And for, anecdote about once bumping into Joey at a service station, <laughs> and since then we've put a call out on the um, on the podcast, and people have been coming in. People have been sending us messages about cricketers they've spotted at service stations, <laughs> uh, and we've been debating how people should do them. But there was someone that's seen you. Athos hasn't been spotted, has he? Yeah, he was the day after your. Uh, you remember ninety five at the Oval on the last day? You scored ninety six, and some people that had been at that game then saw you. The next day at a service station, and they said reading, uh, reading, and this—I'll be honest—this surprised me. Although ultimately the same paymaster uh, reading a copy of the the uh, the biggest-selling uh, daily paper <laughs> in Britain, which which had you on the back. Was that the game
0: where uh, you? Met me or asked for an autograph and and, and near my car. Yeah, oh, we go. Oh yeah, yeah. I knew you'd remember. The um, yeah, <laughs> I, uh... the biggest
1: disgrace of a car that you've ever seen. <laughs> it was. Yeah, I think it was either then. I'd often go to the Oval Test on the Harleyford Road. Yeah, there's that school where people park, and it was. Yeah. Now, was it that? It was either that or I think it was the Pakistan game, maybe the, the year after. Yeah. And I got your autograph by your car. And it was just because I spoke about it when I did that thing at Lord's
2: <laughs> On your drive outside your front house.
1: <laughs> it was unbelievable. It was hard to believe that this was someone that held down like a really quite... Highly considered job, you know, as part of sort of someone that would put on a suit and tie and go to meetings and institute. It was, it was just, I've never seen it. It was, it was like the lady in the van.
0: Well, it would amuse you, Miles, because I, uh, I dropped, I took my lad's car up. He's at Leeds University and I took his car up about a few weeks ago and to drop it off for him. And I went to knock on his door and he, he tried to stop me going into his room. He's a student, of course, a first year university student. His room, I, I mean, I've never seen a bigger disgrace than his <laughs> room. And that, and that is coming from me. He almost
2: tried to stop me going in to have a look at it. So, uh, <laughs> like father, like someone. I kind of believe you've sent him to lead with a Lancashire connection. How has he gone to lead? I
0: know. It's now to do with me. What can you do? <laughs> I had a, a flatmate at university
1: who was a, who was a medic, and he, he was very – I'm not very tiny, but I am the sort of person that you would occasionally have to leave notes on his door – and when he became a, do- a junior doctor, he was once called in. He didn't know why he was called in for psychiatric uh, testing by his by the HR department, and he wanted to know why he was got through. Find <laughs> said, "Oh, someone called us because they saw your room," <laughs> and he <laughs> clearly <came in, laughs> the sort of the sort of room that would turn up in Mindhunter or something. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. Um, with with the writing, I wonder because I think you know you you move very quickly from the from the pitch of the to the press box, did you have someone sort of taking you under, your, under their wing and showing you the ropes or did you instinctively know that this is how I want to go
0: about things? Um, I didn't really, uh, and I'd never really read that much about the game when I played throughout the whole of my uh, growing up and then playing career. I just played all the time. I didn't read about the game. I didn't particularly enjoy reading about myself so I tried to avoid the cricket pages if I could. So when I uh, started to write alongside broadcasting, I had, a, I had to kind of very quickly get up to speed. So I would ask people, you know, who have been the the great cricket writers and I would try and read them. And then people pointed me to America and some of the great columnists in America. So I, I got myself up to speed uh, pretty quickly. I mean, I'd always been an avid reader generally but just not of of cricket necessarily but I got myself up to speed pretty quickly and I to be honest I'd, I'd, I'd been writing a column in the Sunday Telegraph from about 1994 onwards anyway I'd, I'd done it for a long time while I was playing quite enjoyed it so
1: and who do you enjoy of sort of contemporary uh cricket writers I don't know to what extent people read each other's stuff or it's easier to to blank it all out
0: well, there's so much stuff now. It's, it's hard, quite hard to keep across it all, but obviously you, you try and keep across most of it if you can. I, I think Gideon Haig is is the outstanding cricket writer, the Australian, and I think he has been for a long time. Um, some of the books that he's written, have, I think, will go down as some, some great cricket literature. Um, his match reports are fantastic. He's completely fearless, uh, not afraid to upset anybody <laughs> in copy and print, um, but is fair and empathetic as well. He still plays the game, actually. I think that comes through. He, he still plays. He's, I don't know, he's older than me, 57 or something, but plays for his side, the Yarra's in Melbourne. Um, so I think he's the outstanding cricket cricket writer of the day, for sure, and will go down as, as one of the great cricket writers.
2: I thought if, if you were to open the baton with Miles, what would you, what would you say to him? What would you tell him? So Yori's here, he's at the other end. What are you gonna to say to him to, to get him going? When he's with Monmouth uh, fourths? what are you telling them? Monmouth fourths?
0: I'd tell him we're gonna be we're gonna be great. It's gonna be the, the greatest opening partnership that's ever been for Monmouth fourths, obviously.
1: Well this is exactly what I need to hear. Well, I'm thinking of declaring my availability this Saturday. I've got to do I've got to do my first um, All Stars session. I'm gonna be an activator. Um fantastic. And and then, uh, yeah, and then I'm going to don the whites, maybe get out there. Have you, If fact, Ashington, have we got, do we sponsor
0: Ashington, Mark? Have we got our name on there? We
2: do, yes, yes. We've got on the back of the shirt. How about that? But
0: who won the game between Ashington and, uh, what, what's Collie's team called? Shotley
2: Bridge. It's a, it's a sore subject, I thought. Um, we're just about getting over it. I mean, they're a big rival of the and, uh It was a good game, actually. We got 218 and they knocked them off in the, in the middle of the 49th over, I think, so... was a good game I had a shocker it's a leveler it's a leveler I've got four (laughs) runs no wickets and dropped the catch it's a great great (laughs) leveler the great leveler
1: it sure is if that's how I get on for Monmouth 4th next week I'll I'll be quite happy with that as a return I'll just just there's there's there's
2: no DRS it's a different game Athos. there's no DRS what can I say it's a different game with DRS tell me what 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 do you run
0: in off for a a league match up at Ashington.
2: Yeah, yeah. I came in off my, off my full run, but I bowled at about like 70, 60, 70%. And it was luckily I had Ben Harmson next to me because he was sort of stood next to me saying, Oh, you look great, nice and tall at the crease. If it had been the cat and sheep, he'd have been like, What are you doing? Get him out. We need a wicket. <laughs> so luckily I had someone that knew what I was trying to do. And um, I was very lucky. So, uh, yeah, the, the last the last thing I want to ask you, Athas, really, is from my personal point of view, because it relates to me a little bit, is around the sort of injury side of things. I mean, it's obviously well known that you had a sore back and stuff at times, but did you do a lot of things behind the scenes that people wouldn't know about? Like, was there a lot of sort of medical stuff, uh, physio? Did you do a lot of stuff in the gym? Like, how often that people wouldn't know about?
1: Well, <laughs> for the benefit of the tape, Mr. Atherton laughed and at suggested that you spent time in the gym.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a different time, obviously. What I did do, uh, Woody, which wouldn't be allowed now, is live off anti inflammatories. I think now you have a traffic light system, don't you? Where if you take a certain amount of anti-inflammatories, you're on a, an amber light and then a red light, and then you have to stop for a while. I basically took... But you can eat or drink anything now you want. So <laughs> your, your stomach's not <laughs> used to anything now. You can pump anything you want now. Well, I, I used to take 200 milligrams of Voltrol, and I took them every day for 13 years. And basically that that got me through my career.
1: Is that enough to be almost recreational?
0: <laughs>
2: It's probably more than enough. Can you not see the radioactive glow around them now? <laughs> it's on screen yet. Yeah.
0: Um, no, but yeah. So I had a, I had a uh, back operation very early on, back in 1990. But in those days, you know, the, the kind of care and attention that a player would take for granted, not really there then. So I, I would I found Pilates myself and found kind of ways of trying slightly
2: alternative treatments. But essentially. And how often would you do that? Because obviously for people that don't know, like obviously behind the scenes you do a lot more than what people think is just injury. So what what kind how often would you do that? Would you was there lots of exercises? Was it just one or two?
0: Yeah, I tried to do that most days, you know, core strength. And you know, the, the coming back from injuries is is one of the great untold stories of sport, isn't it? The the long lonely hours that you have as a player away from the rest of your teammates with the physio or whatever. They're pretty, pretty lonely and and dark moments. And you've had more of them than most. But I think without the anti-inflammatories, I wouldn't have been able to play actually. Mine was a kind of inflammatory condition more than anything. It affected various parts of me. But I think without the Voltrol, I would have really struggled. So it was just a case of (laughs) popping a pill in the morning and the evening. Um, and, yeah, getting through. So when you're in a retirement
1: home, you're going to be completely au <laughs> fait, really, with how the day should run. It's going to be, it's going to be a very smooth transition.
0: <laughs> I got off the Voltrol, actually, very
1: quickly. Is that the trolley coming round? Marvellous.
0: <laughs> I got off it really quickly after I stopped playing. You know, the doctors just – you couldn't you couldn't get it as readily as you could when I played. And it became more difficult, so I just managed to get off it, thankfully.
1: Uh, Of all the people in the world whose time I would not want to waste, uh, you rank extremely (laughs) highly, Mike. So I'm going to ask one final crickety question before we do um, Mark's super over. Uh, And that would really be, uh, can you see any similarities in personality between Raymond Dillingworth and Chris Silverwood.
0: (laughs) Uh, No is a very uh, simple answer to that. The two great Yorkshire and England supremos from railing with to Chris Silverwood and both are at vastly opposite ends of the spectrum.
1: uh, Let let me breathe a sigh of relief on behalf of so many cricket lovers out there. Uh, uh, Mark, have you got got your, your, your item ready? You better believe it. I'm do you know what this is, Mike? I do. Right, Mark, we're super over. Then I'm. All my only job is to uh, is to time.
2: I'm oh, to time. Okay, quick. Whoa, whoa,
1: let's just go. Not, look This this has gone oh, very badly.
2: Right. On your mark, <laughs> get set, go. Athas, <laughs> turning pitch or green top? Uh, turning pitch. Your favorite TV dog. Lassie. The last photo you took. Would be of my
0: daughter underneath the cherry tree in our garden, I think. Nice. Favourite cricket ground? Favourite cricket ground would be
2: Adelaide. If a duck flew at you, would you duck or fight back? Duck. If I could, with my back. (laughs) (laughs) You've had the ball roll, you're fine. Uh, Steam room or sauna?
0: (sighs) What a bizarre question, steam room.
2: Favourite player as a kid? Uh... Can I have two? Yeah, of course. David Gower, Clive Lloyd. Heaviest thing you've ever dropped on your foot? Ooh, a plant pot. What's the worst thing you've been bitten by? Ooh, worst thing I've been bitten by a wasp. <laughs> I was nearly sure thing. you are going to say <laughs> Miles male's job autograph there, but uh, that's fine. Uh, name three PSL teams. Oh, my God. Uh, three PSL teams. <laughs> Karate Kings.
0: Lahore Qualanders.
2: Um, uh, one of them <laughs> yeah. and last but not least Miles is stealing apples from your garden what do you shout at him oh welcome in Miles my great friend Miles help help yourself help yourself by oh, the barest of all margins I couldn't <laughs> have got any better Miles
1: <laughs> that's fantastic fantastic I, I can't believe that you thought some of my, Mark's questions were eccentric do wasps have teeth no no I was. that's a bad um, answer that's, yes, that that's a bit of a shame that one uh, no, uh, <laughs> we still we still haven't got a full quote off our PSL teams Miles no one the most common answer I think has been is there one, Is there one with a Q in it I think that's the <laughs> oh in fact there's a two is there Quetta, Quetta gladiators Quetta it? gladiators yeah Mike thank you so so much uh for joining us um you occasionally have been mentioned on this podcast so um uh it's great to have your uh your actual presence and voice on it um Been a great fan of yours for many years. Uh, Thank you very much.
0: Great to see you. Well, Miles, how are
1: you
2: feeling? I'm delighted, to be perfectly honest. I mean, that's um, yeah. You sound you sound a lot better now. There was a quiver in your voice at the end when you were having to say thanks for thanks for coming on. It was almost as if you just couldn't let go. Well, that's all right, isn't it? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Don't go. Don't go. Um, what else are you doing? I'll pay you an hourly wage to stay on the call. No, I, um, yeah, well, that's really exciting. I mean, it's, you know, for the likes of you, you know, you just think, oh, it's another England cricketer or or what have you. But um, doing this podcast, for, 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 for me, for, you know, that suddenly there's these extraordinary opportunities uh, to talk to people. I was taking my son to the cash machine earlier. I was giving him money. He wasn't uh, frog marching me. But I, um, I said, I'm doing it. A- Podcast today with uh, with my favourite cricket ever and he went Michael Aton. And I thought,
2: yeah, that's how often I've said it that he's a you know at least he kept it a one name. It wasn't like just butler that just butler. At least it was just Michael Atherton.
1: Well we ought to ask people what do we because I called him Mike, I called him Michael, I called him
2: Athers. I didn't I didn't know what's uh, what's appropriate. When when you're best friends with someone, you can call them what you want, Miles. Right. But let's let's review. Let's review anyway how you did. all right Because because oh, no. here we go. So let's go with the overall stats. Mark Wood, you asked three questions. Miles <laughs> Joe, you asked 18 you are, questions. You asked three questions. And you asked 18.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, that's, yeah. So no, we're I on
2: can't. a one to six ratio so far, but that's just the start I, of it.
1: I can see that's upset you because I know you're a big fan of his. You probably had so much to ask. The
2: fact that you got, uh, you got the McGrath thing wrong. You said he got him out nine times when he actually got him out 19, yeah. which again was making uh, him feel bad. Uh,
1: Absolutely humiliating. In fact, he got nine. Nine was what he scored in his last innings, and in which he was, uh, which he was uh, dismissed by McGrath. So it was probably that cloud of my judgment.
2: You made him feel comfortable out the run-out. No, I didn't. You mentioned the steps thing. You said it was a tragedy. Before that, you said... I said it was heartbreaking. OK, well, I'll let you off for heartbreaking. That's fine.
1: Imagine if I said, God, I thought that was funny. I loved it. So much funnier than you've been running out in 98. I didn't. I said it was heartbreaking. That's all right, isn't it? Okay, yep, that's fine. Um, I felt like your first question. I didn't say I took my clothes off and cried in the garden. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? I just, <laughs> just said I thought it
2: was heartbreaking. Right, and then I, I told you that I would rate your questions um, on how good they were overall, how creepy they were, how excited you looked on screen, yeah, and um, how I'd said it. And on the creepy scale, it started off at a six. It went to a seven when you said, and you got 19 and 25. And that time, I, I got your autograph. Do you remember that and stuff? At it was a six. No, he so you're doing he well. brought that up. He
1: brought up me getting his autograph. But
2: you said, I was hiding in the garden and I came out. and I mean, that was pretty
1: good. So <laughs> you can not You can't score me based on things that have only happened in your imagination, Mark. That's <laughs> completely... Look, I'm you know, sorry, it says uh, seven, Lies, yeah. Lies cost lives. We've learned anything during the recent TV watching season. Lies cost lives. Man. I've
2: got you as a, as a seven, eight overall for, for your questions. I thought they were very good. Questions, I've got... I liked all
1: three of yours as well.
2: Yeah, I've got six for how excited you were. I thought you'd be a little bit more. It was Mike Latherton, but you seem to keep it together very well. So I'm going to give you a solid six. You weren't too excited, you weren't too down. What's a swan
1: like under the surface, Mark? They are paddling furiously. Okay, and that's 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 what we've got here. I think heroes are very um, very important. So it's kind of uh... the they
2: say never meet a hero, Stormiles. I, I think you've enjoyed
1: that. Yeah, I have met him before. Of course, famously, I lent him a well. I got his autograph as he recorded. Uh, you know, it was obviously quite <laughs> a big. Obviously, quite a big moment for him. Uh, I lent him a biro in Nagpur once, and. Um, no, I had a good chat with him at a dinner at Lawn's. So i you know, that's... And now he's teed up the fact
2: that you're going to you're going to bat together for
1: months. He's teed that up. Yeah, well, and we're going to have you opening the bowling, coming in off your full run-up. Mm. I'll be at, mm. I'll be at mid-off telling you full pace, Mark. <laughs> um, I, but uh, yeah, no, it's fantastic, really. I mean, it, you, you know, you're you're such a young man, Mark. But the '90s, one of the great decades. Uh, you know, the extent to which he held things together. Uh, to which extent, which he was just, you know, one of our, you know, we weren't necessarily overly blessed with world class players. Yes, you had like your, your Goffs and your and Stewarts, but he, you know, he really, he he was astonishing. He was a sort of titan. really. So uh, how great, how great to talk to him about it. How sort of modest about it is. And I, I kind of, I kind of like the fact that sometimes in these things, you ask someone a big question, and their honest answer is, I don't know, uh, because it means that some things just are and that's uh, you know i'm perfectly happy with that
2: and and um of course we now know that from what he said that in his column where he speaks to people um, he's often engaging with um, the guy i don't know who this is but it says miles loves Alpha's one two three four so whoever that is and um, seems to have a lot of engagement he's a doctor i think i think he's a <laughs> biomechanicist yeah.
1: <laughs> um, no, fantastic. I, I, yeah, that's an amazing, uh, For me, that's ex- extraordinary to have to have him as, as a as a guest, really. But I think you did well to keep
2: calm, Mark. I, I thought he was fantastic. I thought he. The, all all the guests have been great.
1: Correct. Correct. Uh, Two thousand and one, he retired from Test cricket. How old would you have been then? Like ten, eleven. I was 11, 11 11 years old. How many how many uh, paces were you running in off in those days?
2: Thirty three. <laughs> i just made that number off.
1: No, that, that, 33 was already a number, Mark. You have not made up the number 33, and that is <laughs> is—it's an unbelievably arrogant claim. Um, <laughs> 33, another one of mine. Yeah, 34. I can't remember who that was. I was 35 <laughs> through 52, actually. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. No wonder people think you're eccentric, Mark, when you come up with these claims. Um well, that is the end of uh, this series of Middle, Please, Umpire. And thanks very much indeed for listening. If you've enjoyed it, please um, leave the sort of ratings and reviews.
2: So it's goodbye from me, uh, Miles, And goodbye from me, Mark. We'll see you in the summer.
1: That's right. We'll be back in the summer with our first guest, uh, former Prime Minister Boris
0: Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> All should be taken and it's taken. Brilliant from Mark Wood. What a spell this has been. For all the latest cricket betting markets, in-play odds and promotions, visit williamhill.com
1: or download the free app. 18 plus. Please gamble responsibly. William Hill.
0: It's who you play with